the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. It's a Mother's Day edition of The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotographs contributor Ben Deronio. And today we'll be discussing a plethora of pitchers coming off strong outings, along with a look at the concept of buying high. Ben, please tell us, how was your Mother's Day? It was, uh, it was wonderful. You know, spent the uh, evening over at my, uh, my mom's house with uh, my sister and my nephew, and uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a nice little evening. Good stuff. Wait, don't you live near me? I do, actually. I live in Jersey City, uh, and you're in Hoboken, right? Yeah, I actually traveled all the way to Brooklyn to go oh. to my grandparents' house. Like, and, oh, going to Brooklyn is such a hassle. But, yeah, it's a hike. But that's where grandmas live, and so that's where you got to go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, anyway, you know, I really have to say that I love the titles of some of your articles because you totally command readers to take action. For example, here are some of your titles from previous articles. Target J.R. Graham in Dynasty League Drafts. Buy high on Starling Birthday. Aggressively go after Brian McCann. You're telling readers right in the subject line exactly what you want them to do, and I love it. Right, yeah. I mean, a lot of people like to go with the, you know, the funny the funny headlines and uh, or, you know, put a last name fit like into a funny pun but uh yeah i like to be right to the point you know i want uh, i want my readers to know that i'm uh, uh i take fantasy uh, relatively seriously and i look at it as a, a market just like the stock market and uh when a guy's high um there's reasons to buy or sell them and when they're low same same reasons and i like to look in depth and, and i want my readers to know that uh, even though it's a game you know we're playing to win yeah, you know what's funny is that this actually gives the commenters greater opportunity to completely skip your actual article, just read your headline, and then they're going to comment based on whether they agree or disagree just on the subject line. So if they don't like Brian McCann, they don't even have to read the article. You just say, oh, Ben, what are you talking about? You're an idiot. Uh, Brian McCann sucks. Yeah, I've actually noticed the, the, the amount of comments have uh, gone up since I started, you know thinking less about my headlines and saying this is what I'm trying to say so let me just go with it and once I started doing that the comments have actually really gone up yeah it's right to the point and I guess when readers see that they're being commanded to take action they really appreciate it right yeah I think I think they do so I'm gonna see how long this works for so (laughs) all right well let's start things off as usual with the most interesting player alive today and actually when I wrote this up last night for one reason or another i have no idea maybe you can explain this to me but the most searched for player on fangrass last night was derek lowe is yeah, there any... that too. yeah um, that's really strange and so i'm like all right you know what this is a, a time where i'm not going to be super strict and we're going to go with the second most searched for player well that second most searched for player from last night is now tonight's most searched for player and so i don't even have to cheat that's ubaldo jimenez and again, no surprise here, as is usually the case with the most searched for player. Last night, coming off of a six inning performance, one run allowed, only one walk, eight strikeouts. He's now only allowed three runs in his last three starts, uh, and he's got a 20 to six strikeout to walk ratio. So, 
what are we thinking here on Ubaldo? Is he finally turning a corner and returning to his glory days, or is he going to just be inconsistent all season? Yeah, I mean, I, the way I look at him is that he's going to be inconsistent. He's not a guy I'm going to want to have. It's just too much worry. I would need to see a little bit more out of him over the next couple of starts. I mean, I know, I know we have his history of him actually being uh, dominant at times, and people see a few good starts and you think, you know what, maybe I can grab him now and he can be that guy. But, you know, when he was dominant like that, he was throwing 96 miles an hour. You know, and that, Right now he's at 92, and I, I just don't have the faith that he'll be able to uh, keep the ball in the strike zone and, uh, you know, keep the ball in the park at, at the level um, that he has over the past couple of starts, even though he's gave up two home runs. But, um, yeah, I, I don't love him. Uh, he's a guy I would try and avoid if I, if I needed to. Yeah, I completely wrote him off after the huge velocity decline over the past couple of years, and that has not returned. And actually, his velocity is down uh, even more this year. Right. There are, however, some encouraging signs. Last year, his ground ball rate dipped below 40%, which uh, was well below what he had always put up. Mm-hmm. At, you know, He was usually in the high 40% range, low 50% range. And uh, given the fact that he walked a lot of batters, those ground balls eliminated some of those base runners because he would right. get a lot of ground ball double plays. But that went away last year in addition to his strikeouts, and his walk rate was terrible, his uh, worst of his career. So nothing was working for him. But this year, his, walk, uh, his ground ball rate has rebounded up to nearly 50%. So that's one encouraging sign. The other thing is that he apparently credits a renewed consistency in his mechanics. So uh, actually, I you know what I I said that wrong. I um, he he credits his recent good starts on consistency in his mechanics, mm-hmm. and right. you can look actually at his uh, first strike and zone percentages over the last couple of starts, and they actually have improved dramatically, which does give some credence to what he's saying. So if he's throwing it in the strike zone more often, that's obviously. Uh, a big improvement because he's struggled with control the last two years. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, those are two, I think, encouraging signs, but still I'd be way too nervous. I mean, when he's only throwing 92 right now and his swinging strikes really are not that great, they still haven't rebounded to previous levels. So I'm, I'm kind of with you, even though. Yep. Was... I, I see that same signs too. Like the, it, it, It's good that he is having these types of outings in a row. So it's like, now he's back on our radar, and I think that's right where he should be at this point. You know, back on our radar, not necessarily a full target yet, but say, hey, you know, one or two more starts, maybe yeah. you can still get him before he's uh, too valuable uh, in the trade. Yeah, I'm thinking right now that maybe this means he could have value in AL only leagues after all, but right. still, I'd be nervous about starting him in a, a shallower mixed league. Same. All right, let's move along to uh, a guy who has not been a disappointment and is really started off the season hot, and that's Manny Machado, who is outperforming, I'm sure, most fantasy players' expectations. I think he was not drafted in one of my six leagues, and all my leagues are at least 12-team mix. And the fact that he wasn't even drafted, uh, I mean, I, I basically valued him as a replacement-level player in my leagues. So... He's certainly out-earned uh, I expected him to do so far early in the season. I mean, what are your thoughts here? Are you a fan, or is he more of a sell-high candidate? No, I, I am a fan. I actually uh, I, I drafted him in Otno last year um, in, in the Fangraph staff, number two league, and uh, I kept him this year for 13, which was pretty high in comparison. I, I think most people were keeping him in around six or seven or getting rid of him. But uh, I kept him at 13, and I've been obviously 
you know, ecstatic with the performance so far. Um, you know, you, you got to expect the BABIP to drop, which is, uh, you know, 362. It's going to be a little excessive for him. He'll probably come down around the 300 mark, 310. That'll drop his average down and OBP accordingly. But, you know, the power is real. The stolen bases are real. He's probably going to hit another, you know, 10 to 14, 15 more homers. So he could end up right under 20. And I'll probably steal about 10 bags. And, you know, um, uh, I, I find a lot of value in that. And, and, you know, it's in a very good lineup. So his runs and RBIs are just going to be pretty crazy for the whole year. You know, that, that whole lineup is going to have guys that are going to have right near 100 RBIs and runs. So in, in leagues that, that took out that, that really matters. Um, Otno's not one of those leagues, but I'm still really happy that I have him. Yeah, and looking at all of his peripherals, the only concern I have is exactly what you named. This is BABIP is clearly going to drop. His, his, his pop-up rate right now is 16%, way above the league average. There's no way he can maintain a an infield fly ball rate that high and keep up that BABIP. So that BABIP is clearly dropping. He's not going to hit 300 the rest of the year. In fact, his zips and steamer projections have him batting 260, 264. And that's reasonable. I would maybe say 270, 275 for the remainder of the year. But other than that, his power looks real. And he's already attempted five steals, which is a good sign. So this is a, a potential 2010 guy batting in a great lineup spot in a, a very potent offense. Yeah, exactly. You know, he, he's just an, he's a guy in a really good situation, and uh, I can't agree with you more on the steals. I'm really happy that they've decided to let him run this frequently, and that he's also done it uh, with this high of a rate so far. You know, if he was thrown out a couple of those times, they'd probably pull the reins in on him. But stealing four out of five bags, you know, there's a good chance he can get to 20 if it, if he keeps running at a high rate. Um, it probably settles more between the 10 to 15 range, but you know that's very solid for for what you drafted him at. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, this all depends on context and who you could actually get. It depends if it's a keeper or not keeper. But to me, he does not seem like a a real sell high candidate. He just seems like a guy hold on to and enjoy the ride. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at him as too. Um, if you picked him up, you probably didn't pick him up for you know you didn't put too much value in to him so just uh you know let this ride out um if he gets better you could probably sell him then if he starts hitting it you know has a couple big uh couple big weeks in a row um but if not you know just enjoy the ride and and uh, hold on to him what about comparing him to brett Lurie, who's been off to a pretty terrible start since returning from his uh, i think it was his ribs that were uh giving him issues and he missed the first couple of weeks of the season he's betting 176 uh, three home runs and 91 at bats isn't terrible, uh, but he only has one stolen base attempt and he was caught. So at this point, are you still preferring Laurie or are you going to make the switch? Would you rather have Machado now over the rest of the season? I think I would rather have Machado, but I also think Lowry is a guy that I'm definitely going after in leagues right now where I'm struggling at that position. Um, he, you know, he was over 10 and 10 last year in uh, uh, only 125 games. So he can do that again this year. Going forward, I actually think they're really going to be very similar, and so do the projection systems. Zips has them almost identical um, across the board, which is actually pretty pretty funny that you bring up this comparison. So, I mean, going forward, I, I do like Machado a little bit more, but I like uh, Lowry's value at this point since he struggled and he was injured before. You can grab him for almost next to nothing at this point and probably get you know another 10-plus homers and 10-plus steals. Uh, the steals is one thing I, I'm worried about with him because last year he was so bad uh, at stealing. He did get 13, but he was caught eight times, which is, uh, you know, a little bit worrisome. And again, like you mentioned, he only ran once so far this year and he was already caught. So 
Uh, I think he'll start running more and probably be more effective at it. But, you know, that's the one big worry I have with him. Uh, I do like going after him at this point, though. Yeah, if there was one player I would slap the Enigma tag on this year, I think Brett Laurie would be one of my top candidates because, I mean, you look at all of these metrics, he's striking out 25% of the time. He's never been a big strikeout guy uh, in the past, and his swinging strike rate is way up. He's He must be drinking what Colby Rasmus is drinking up in Toronto. I don't know what they're doing up there in Canada, but the guys are just swinging and missing way more often than they ever have in the past. And then check out this line drive rate. He's at 9%. Yeah. That's a total of six line drives in all of his batted balls. And last year he was just above league average, completely normal. He's hitting a ton of ground balls this year, 55%. Ground balls was a problem last year, and, and that hurt his fly ball rate. But this year he's not hitting any line drives, and those are becoming fly balls. So the fly ball rate is normal only because he's hitting no line drives. Right, so, yeah, that's the, that's the issue at this point. But, um, yeah, I, you got to expect that to at least come up a little bit. And once that comes up, obviously, you know, the the, the average and on base will too. And that's when you're really going to grab the steals. But if, if he doesn't get those steals, if he only ends up with like five to six more going through the whole year, if he uh, really doesn't improve the line drive rate, at least he's hitting more fly balls, which should lead to more homers. You know, he hit another homer today, which is another good sign. So he's up to four and 100 plate appearances, which is pretty solid if he got to uh, – you know, 600 plate appearances, and that's, you know, that's pretty good, pretty good number to be at. Yeah, imagine he finishes the year with 25 home runs, but like five steals, and he bats 230, and he does like completely opposite of what everybody expected. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's possible. That's what it looks like. It, it could end up going down um, this this year. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's a guy to me who, if you're gonna buy low on, you just gotta have to close your eyes, don't even look at his stats, don't analyze anything, just. Right know his name and what he might be capable of and just hope for the best and cross your fingers right yeah i mean if you, you look at his career numbers they're still pretty they're pretty solid and you know 800 plate appearances 23 homers 20 steals uh, and you know a decent enough average to allow those uh, numbers to be you know if you're if you're looking for a guy who contribute in the homers and steals department at that position that's the kind of guy you're gonna go after you know it's kind of like a kelly johnson in that sense to where you know he's not going to do a lot of the good things you want but the homers and steals that that those are so valuable in fantasy. You know, you just gotta, you gotta run with them. Yeah, I mean, just looking at what he did during his debut in 2011, and then what he did in 2012, it's like, all right, will a real Brett Laurie please stand up? Right, because, exactly. I mean, who is he? Because he stole seven out of eight in 2011. The last year, his percentage wasn't good. His power disappeared. So we have no idea who the real Brett Laurie is. And then even his ground ball and fly ball rates completely reversed from 2011 to 2000. It's two, it's like two completely different players each year. Yeah. And I think a lot of the big, the big deal is not being able to stay on the field as frequently as you want and get into that consistent uh, mode, you know, of just playing every day and, and getting into a groove. He really needs to, you know, first stay on the field, play regularly and get his confidence back. And, uh, you know, there's definitely some worry around him, but, uh, I'm still confident with you know. There's just a skill set and athleticism that he has that he'll be able to uh, to improve. Yeah. All right. Let's move along to uh, a guy who had a, an excellent outing today, and that is Tim Lincecum, who I know we've talked about in the past because I've been the uh, forever optimist on him, and he actually shut out the Braves of all teams for seven innings and uh, got the win. And uh, Ben, you said you watched the game, so give us your scouting report. Yeah, I did. You know, he was he was just really impressive. Uh, he only gave up two hits the whole game. Just was pretty much just shutting down 
Yeah, I think at one point he retired like 18 straight. It was just a complete domination. He was, he was mixing in all of his pitches, his changeups. He was throwing almost on every 0-2 count and getting or every two strike count and getting them uh, pretty consistently. Uh, you know, that's a good hitting team that he was pitching against too. I mean, obviously they're going to strike out a lot, so him striking out six, seven batters in seven innings isn't that impressive against that team. But you know, shutting them down to only two hits is uh, really impressive. And that's uh, I, I think what I'm seeing from him is him, him really start to turn that corner. The really only big issue he's had this year, um, in comparison to years past, is uh, you know he's walking a little bit more. But really, the home run per fly ball ratio, which I think is you know it's bound to drop, um, maybe not towards the eight uh, percent that it was at uh, in in the past, but you know it's going to be below fifteen percent that it is now. It'll pro- probably drop to around twelve uh, over the course of the year, and that'll bring his ERA down a significant amount. Uh, he, he really impressed me today, and I think that's kind of I think he's getting back to that guy that he used to be. I don't think he'll ever be that guy again just because his velocity is not going to be at that level. But I think he's getting back to, um, you know, being a very effective pitcher rather than an okay to average pitcher. Yeah, I mean, I watched the majority of his starts just because I own him in several leagues. And there were two issues for me. One is it seems like he's been a bit unlucky. Obviously, this is nowhere near the Tim Lincecum of old, but he's been a bit unlucky. His Sierra stands at 376 coming into today's start versus a 475 actual ERA. You hit on the home run per fly ball ratio, which is also hurting his left on base rate. His bad bip is 325, which is a career worst. That probably was going to drop. But the biggest problem was clearly his fastball command. Every time I watched him, it just looked like he was never sure exactly where that fastball was going, and that was always the issue for him. And when he didn't know exactly where it was going, it would just get hit for a line drive, and he would just give up a bunch of hits, and that was what was leading to the high Babbitt. So that's something that I don't know if you can count on it being there consistently from start to start. It might just be random. Some starts he's going to have his command, and some starts he doesn't. Yeah, that's probably that's probably who he has become now. You know, you, with the walk rate the past year above, uh, you know, four batters per nine, that's and over ten percent. He actually has the same exact walk rate entering today at ten point nine percent the past two years, which is, you know, abnormal for him. Even though he's never been a tremendous control guy, he, you know, he wasn't this bad at, uh, you know, in terms of command. And it's weird because he's throwing his fastball more frequently this year. So you would think throwing the fastball more frequently would result in a fewer amount of walks, but uh, it hasn't to this point, which has has me a little concerned. You know, he doesn't really throw his curveball as frequently as he used to either. But, um, you know, today he was really out there mixing up pitches uh, to, to the exact level that he, he should when he's pitching his uh, best baseball. And, and he, you know, he, like you said, the BABIP was high before uh, this game. Today his outing dropped it down to 300. So, I mean, it dropped 25 points just based on today alone, which is, uh, you know, pretty impressive. So, yeah, I like him going forward a lot, actually. I think he's, at this point, this is the time to grab him, if you're going to grab him. Yeah, and all of his advanced metrics look as good as they always have in the past. Swinging strike rate, uh, right in line with every year he's ever had. Uh, first strike rate, right there, actually above the last two years. Zone percentage above the last two years. So his stuff is fine. Even with the decreased velocity, his strikeout percentage is is right at 2011 levels. Right. Uh, walking a little more, um, but XFIP is right at 3.25, right at 3.24. So I mean, once he gets a little bit more fortunate with those home runs, which you have to figure is going to happen in that stadium, uh, you know, it's uh, that that could be a very, very, very good pitcher, and this is the optimal time to to make the move to uh, to acquire him. I think. Yeah, I you know I remember last year there was an article. I think Dave Cameron wrote the article about Lincecum talking about his C 
Sierra versus his ERA and that maybe it wasn't all bad luck, but just bad pitching uh, as a result of bad location. And I'm just wondering if this is something that we don't really necessarily see in the stats until we dive into like pitch effects and, and the location of pitches and everything, that if his fastball command is what his problem is, then wouldn't that make sense that he would leave more pitches over the heart of the plate, more meatballs, as some might say, which would lead to more line drives, lead to an inflated home run per fly ball ratio, because that jives, the missing fastball command jives with the high line drive rate and the high home run per fly ball ratio. It makes sense. Absolutely. I completely agree. I mean, that, that, that's been his issue, and again, that he's throwing more fastballs is also going to lead to uh, you know a higher home run rate and a higher BABIP, which it has this year. It's just... At the at the level it's at, the home run per five ball ratio, it just seems like absurd, you know. Yeah. But even if even if you're gonna assume that it's gonna bump up past his uh, career averages, you're gonna think maybe like ten to twelve percent. But you know, fifteen that's 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 a lot of home runs in fly ball, you know. And he's he's too good of a pitcher to be stuck at that level, and and even though he's not that guy, he's uh you know everything else he's doing is right in line with being a very good pitcher, not Cy Young candidate, but you know being that guy he was in like 2010. That's kind of where I'm expecting him to be at for the rest of the year, like three, yeah. three, four ERA. Yeah, I mean, the stat heads a lot of times get criticized by solely looking at the stats and saying, oh, Tim Lincecum has been unlucky. Look at his CR versus his ERA. And and then you'll get the commenters who are big Giants fans. Oh, I've watched every start, and he's just missing his spots and missing his location for his fastball. And we'll just say, oh, yeah, whatever. Well, why isn't showing up in his stats? Well, you know what? If that commenter said it about Lincecum, they probably have a point. And that's something that we can't really see from the stats. So, I mean – I don't know what other pitchers that this affects, but I'm sure it's not limited to Lincecum. So I'm sure there are other guys who are suffering from inflated line drive rates, home run per fly ball rates that we keep thinking will uh, improve based on their Sierra ERA differential, and it doesn't happen, and then we get criticized. So he might be an example of somebody like that. No, he definitely is, and there's there's guys like that. Uh, last year was actually a really good example um, with something similar with Mike Miner. You know, I watch every uh, Braves game for the most part. And uh, Mike Miner's pitcher, I've always been really high on compared to, you know, the industry-wide uh, uh, consensus. So, you know, I watch his starts and I see um, a guy who, you know, he was getting really unlucky with the hits. They weren't being line drives left and right. And I said to pick him up about halfway through the year, and that's really when he just kicked it into overdrive and became, you know, a very, very, very good pitcher. And, uh, you know, he was a perfect example of actually having access and watching the games is going to help you. And, I mean, I know we're stats and we we don't we, it's impossible to watch every game, but if you have a few moments and you can you know take a gander at a a guy's outing, you're, you're going to have a little bit more insight even you know on top of the numbers. Yeah, absolutely. So here's where sometimes maybe watching the games could actually help. And uh, I know for myself, it it sometimes can hurt because you're watching a guy pitch in one game and it's such a small sample size, and then it really kind of clouds your perception but in this case it could help definitely yeah that's what that's one of the issues i usually have with uh you know going on scouting reports of of players that are about to come up you know a lot of these guys have only seen them once or twice so i'm always kind of skeptical to say you know yeah you saw him but what if that was like a really good day or a really bad day right so i mean there's definitely you have to, you have to look at multiple outings and, and you know maybe not watch every pitch but go back and watch you know the highlights of him striking out uh certain players you know and, and seeing how he attacked you know really good hitters yeah, all right, let's move along. I want, I want to talk about the concept of buying high. You mentioned this twice, actually, in the last month. First on 
April 15th with Paul Pahalem, and then at the beginning of May when you discuss Starling Marte. So tell us what your thoughts on what kind of player would you be most comfortable buying high? Have you ever bought a player high or you considered to have bought that player high? Yeah, I actually just did something similar this week with uh, Anthony Rizzo. I bought I, I bought him, you know, after he's been tearing it up the past couple of weeks. I just think he's, you know, a kind of guy who's going to sustain. That's what it comes down to. You know, you have to look at what they've done and see the things that point to them not being able to sustain uh, those numbers and kind of regress those back to the uh, level you think they're going to go to and, and look at and say, okay, is that player still productive and is he still worth going after even though you expect him to come down? So with a guy like Marte, who I uh, who I suggested, you know, a lot of owners are going to say, oh, he's got a really high bad bit. Let me move him now um, before that drops and before his value plummets. But, you know, nobody's going to pay top dollar value for Starling Marte, even though he's played like a top notch player all year. So you, you make a trade for him. You, I mean, you, you make an offer that's, you know, good, but not uh, not too good and uh, try and acquire, you know, Again, this is another. This is a player you're grabbing for his home runs and his steals, not really for his average. Even though it's at 3.36 right now, you expect that to drop probably close to the level it was at last year at 2.60, and you and you ride the results of the, you know, the high, uh, the high stolen base total, um, the decent amount of home runs, and you know the tons of runs that he's going to score in front of uh, Andrew McCutcheon. Yeah, you know, I'm actually curious about what you traded to get Anthony Rizzo because I find a lot of times in the comments on message boards, people say, oh, I just sold high on this guy or I just bought low on this guy, and then they'll share the trade. I'm like, that wasn't selling high or that wasn't buying low. I don't know why you think that is, but it's not. So I'm curious about Rizzo specifically. I actually had him listed as the guy I was going to ask you about. Personally, I don't think that Rizzo is a buy high guy. Because I think this is basically not a surprise, like what was expected, basically. So right. I guess, but I guess to me, buy high might be a guy who is unexpected to be this good, like a Starling Marte. Sure. Rizzo was like, oh yeah, of course this is what Rizzo was going to be doing. <laughs> so yeah, I guess I, I completely agree that if you want to label it buy high, then he's certainly worth trading for because he's absolutely for real. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have no doubts around him. So that's kind of why I, uh, you know, why I was willing to give up a lot. It's a keeper league and, uh, he's a 16th round tender also, which made me, made him have just insane value. So I traded a uh, bum garner who, um, I'm also incredibly high on. I have, I have been winning the NL Cy Young this year, uh, before the year started. So that should speak to how high I feel of Madison bum garner. And, uh, so I traded, uh, bum garner and, um, and, uh, Dustin Pedroia for, Rizzo and uh, Matt Carpenter and Carpenter, uh, Pedroia and Bumgarner are pretty much not going to be kept anyways. I, I don't remember what uh, round they were, but Rizzo is really the only one that's going to be kept out of that deal. So, ah, so see, yeah, so I mean, this has uh, keeper considerations attached to it, so it's hard to analyze them just based solely on the players. Because obviously, in a non-keeper league, you're not going to make that trade. Exactly. Yeah, the 16th round uh, tender on him makes it, you know, way, way more valuable. Right, and because again, I, I love Bumgarner, but um, I need power in that league. And uh, I think Rizzo's power is only going to – I think he could lead the league in home runs this year. That's, that's pretty much the level I have him at now. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I can see Rizzo being – I mean, obviously, it's only a month and a half into the season. But I can see him potentially being a second or third rounder next year. Yeah, I can see that too, you know, especially because he's starting to run, which I, I didn't expect that much. You know, he's – Attempted seven steals this year, which you know, that's, that's pretty impressive for a first baseman. He's only been successful on four of them, but 
that was another part of the value, which, uh, like you said, the unexpected part, uh, I didn't expect him to be running uh, nearly as frequently as he has been. Yeah, basically a, a clone of Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah, which is uh, which is pretty impressive. That you know, 16th round, I couldn't avoid it. I have him in my dynasty league too. I traded uh, Justin Verlander for him last year um, before this before this season started. Actually, you know, it's just a guy I feel like uh, you're going to have to have on teams if, if you're going to be looking for power. And you know, his average has just skyrocketed the past three weeks. It was like under 200 at one point, I think, and it's already up to 288. So. Yeah, his BABIP was real low, and then finally, all at once, it just skyrocketed, and the average came along with it. So Yeah, it's been a pretty, that's, 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 it's been a pretty crazy couple weeks. That's why um, you know, I could have probably tried and made that trade a few weeks ago if I was a little bit more confident that uh, it would come back to this, to this type of performance. So I kind of regret that I didn't, but uh, I wasn't going to let the fact that I missed on buying him then uh, affect me uh, making that trade now, like he's a guy I wanted to get, I felt I needed, and you know those are the kind of guys you got to pull the trigger on. Are you more comfortable buying high in a hitter versus a pitcher? Uh, it really depends on the league. You know, uh, a lot of my leagues this year, uh, my traditional strategy is to wait on pitching, but there was a lot of leagues where I, you know, uh, I, just my spot in the in the draft, I just was kind of stuck going after pitchers. Um, so I've been trading a lot of pitchers for hitters and, and trying to grab. Uh, hitters a little bit more frequently but um you know again i i, I like do like to buy high i mean i everybody loves to buy low i mean i grabbed uh, adam the roche the other week too and i was really happy about that and he's starting to turn it around like i expected uh, it wasn't a big trade or anything i traded uh, aj griffin for him but uh it was it, it was something i was pretty happy about and those are the kind of trades that i usually find have, have a lot of uh value in terms of you know you actually winning your league no personally i love the idea of buying high and I'll identify a player such as an Anthony Rizzo or Chris Davis, who I think is absolutely for real, but I simply just can't actually pull the trigger and make an offer for one of these guys, even though I think they, they are for real, because I just think that the, the risk reward is just not justified there. I mean, you're basically paying value as if they're going to continue performing the way they have. And if you're wrong, you totally lose. And if you're right, you don't really profit. So I just don't really see, that it is a good idea in terms of uh, adding value to your team. Yeah, there, there's definitely situations where you know you're you're taking a good amount of risk, and yeah, like you said, the reward isn't always there. It has to be for a guy who um, is usually younger, or is, is somebody who I usually feel like, or doesn't have a history of this kind of level of success, which is why I uh, used Paul Mahomes as one of my. Um, one of the players I mentioned uh, to do this kind of strategy with. Uh, it hasn't quite worked out to the level I wanted to since I made that article. He's actually struggled a good amount since then. But you know, when you see a guy who all of a sudden uh, starts to perform above uh, you know, what he used to for past four or five years and you know, at a legitimate level too, not just like get a lower ERA, but his strikeouts go up, his walks go down, he's given up a weaker contact. And uh, you know, those are the kind of guys I think, all right, yeah, he's doing well. But there's nothing to say that he's supposed to come back down. Let me go grab him. Uh, and like I mentioned about Marte, uh, you know, you see what should decline from Marte, and you still see a great player out of it. That's the kind of guy I like to go after. Where you know, even when he does regress, he's still going to be very, very good. And uh, you know, there's a lot of that. There could be a lot of value in making those trades and still having that type of player, or he can end up sustaining the level of success that he's had, and you do kind of win because you traded a good amount for a player. That both of you expect to decline, and if he doesn't, then you know there's that extra added value. 
Yeah, actually, you know what I find the most interesting is what about swapping sell high candidates? Like, I'll trade you Starling Marte for Anthony Rizzo. All of a sudden, that might be an interesting way to kind of uh, remove some of the risk because Absolutely. now you're trading away who some might perceive as a sell high guy. And so if the guy that you're trading for, Anthony Rizzo, turns out to disappoint the rest of the year, well, maybe the guy you also traded away will disappoint. Yeah, exactly. No, I think that's a great idea. If, if you have more confidence in one player sustaining levels, a level of success uh, than a player that you have that's overperforming, I think it's a great move to, to try and swap them or you know maybe do a two-for-one if it's not the same quality of player but uh, with the same the same style of performance uh, being above expectations. I think it's a great idea. And, and you know, same thing with buying low and uh, selling high. Like I mentioned before, I traded uh, AJ Griffin for uh, Adam LaRoche. It was both when they were, you know, pretty far down on their performance. So, I mean, that's another situation where it's like, do you have more confidence in a player performing better from that point on? Uh, can you move him for another player, you know, depending on what need you're looking for? Uh, I think those are always good trades, trying to trade, uh, you know, a sell low for a sell low, same buy high, buy high. I think it's a, I think it's a good idea and a, a very good concept that uh, readers and listeners can take out of this. Right. Uh, speaking of buy high, here's a guy that you probably don't actually have to buy because he might still be sitting on your free agent wire. And that's Francisco Liriano, who had a brilliant return yesterday against the Mets. And he's a guy that's obviously been a huge disappointment these last couple of years. But he's now in the National League for the first time. And he's always been a strikeout pitcher. It's always been walks that have been the bugaboo and uh, a high home run fly ball ratio. Now he's in a ballpark that suppresses home runs. So is this a guy that you think mixed leaguers should go after? Or is he going to be very inconsistent, kind of like an Ubaldo Jimenez? Uh, he's definitely going to be inconsistent, but I do think he will be ownable in mixed leagues. Um, I think, like you mentioned, his his performance in the past has always been centered around walks uh, and home runs. But moving to moving to Pittsburgh is going to be a big, big advantage, and having that outfield defense behind him is also going to really help. You know, with Marte, McCutcheon, and uh, either Schneider slash Tabata out there and right is also you know a big boost for a guy who gives up you know a decent amount of fly balls. Uh, he he was really good in his three starts in Triple A, and that usually doesn't mean too much. But he only walked, I think, one batter throughout that whole time. So he's a guy I do like to actually uh, perform at the level that we were kind of more accustomed to. You know, he's still going to walk probably like three and a half, four and a half batters per nine innings. You know, probably going to be right around 10% uh, walk rate. But those Ks they they help you win leagues, and uh, th- he has a good defense behind him. And I think he should be able to uh, grab some wins as well. You know, with the uh, Pirates being a pretty solid team this year. Yeah, oh gosh. You mentioned his walk rate uh, during his minor league rehab this year. He's a guy who totally seduced me last year in spring training. He was amazing in spring training with his strikeout and walk rate. I thought, all right, he's back. I drafted him in, I think, the labor 15-team mixed league, thinking that this was a, a great, great pickup. And then he sucked all season, I finally traded him after like one or two good outings, and and then he continued to basically stink the rest of the year. So he has a history of putting up great walk rates against weaker competition, and then just completely falling apart in the majors. That said, I do really like him, and I actually bid quite a lot on him in uh, Tout Wars, and the Fab is actually going to be running in about 20 minutes, and I'm crossing my fingers that I get him. 
So yeah, I mean, that's when it, the velocity's back up, which is a good sign. I mean, it was back up last year too, but uh, you know, there, he had that one issue in 2011, you know, before he was uh, out uh, when it was you know 91 miles an hour, which is concerning. But it's good to see him at 93, you know, 94. Uh, you know, we he, know he's going to strike out better. It's all about keeping the walks down. If you can, if you can have a risky type pitcher like him on the roster, uh, I think he's worth it to start. You know, maybe a few games only at home for a week or two, if that's possible, um, and then you know, run full force with him once you see he really performs well consistently. Yeah, and I want to compare him to Scott Casimir because for a little while I could not decide between the two of them who I like better for the rest of the year, and finally. I reached a conclusion not too long ago. So let me hear if you agree with what my conclusion is. Between those two, who do you like better for the rest of the year? I, I actually think I do like uh, Casper slightly better, which uh, might sound crazy, but that last outing the other day was just like, uh, it was just so impressive to me. And, and him being able to get it up to like 95, 96 was just, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing when I was watching that. And I did watch the game. It was just, uh, it was eye-popping. Um, okay. Uh, but you know his issue again, uh, much similar to uh, uh, to uh, Liriano, has been the walks, and e- even so far this year he's been able to keep that down. So I mean, if he if he doesn't throw 95, 96, and he's just keeping the walks down, he should be able to perform at a pretty high level. Um, I like where his XFIP is at, and again, it's only four starts, but uh, having that at that level is going to be uh, important. It'll, it needs to keep the ball in the park, but again, like you said before, moving into a good park is uh, always a big advantage. And Indians usually have. You know, pretty good, uh, pretty good home run rate for compared to other parks. Yeah, uh, so I like Casimir as well, but I did realize that I prefer Liriano by a bit. Okay. Really, for two reasons: first, National League over American League. Right. Big Second, one. they have very, very similar skill sets. They both are big strikeout pitchers with bad control, but the difference is Liriano in the past has been a ground ball pitcher at times, and Casimir has always been an extreme fly ball guy which is good for his BABIP, of course, but it could lead to a bunch of home runs. And if Liriano's home run per fly ball rate regresses back to the league average, then home runs is not going to be as much of a problem as they could be for Casimir. So I think that's you know a minor difference between the two. And I think for those reasons, I, I prefer Liriano by a bit, but both I do like and in deeper leagues definitely take a chance. And I think they also have potential to earn some value in, in shallower 12-team mixers. Yeah, I completely agree. The, and the thing about Casimir giving up a lot of fly balls is that, you know, good. It's a definitely a good uh, quality that the Indians will have a top tier outfield defense when uh, Michael Bourne is uh, healthy and good to go. So that's that's something that should help keep, like you mentioned, his BABIP down and hopefully his uh, ERA as well. Yeah, absolutely. With like basically three center fielders in that outfield between Stubbs, Bourne, and Brantley, that's a very good outfield defense. All right, well, that's a wrap, folks. So join us again on Tuesday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Ben Doronio, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.